Warning, this episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Whiskey Sex Talk. I am your host, Romeo. And I am your co-host, Maria. She is a kink reporter and publisher. She is the author of Surviving Master Joshua, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife. Now, after four years as Joshua's slave, she is now exploring her dominant side. Karma said, welcome to the show. Hi there. Pleasure to be here. Glad to have you on the show. So, Karma. Yeah. Let's hear your story. What are you doing now as of today? And um, tell us more about how you got here. What has been the journey? I have a book published. It's called Surviving Master Joshua, the BDSM Memoir of an Unfaithful Wife. It recently won a few couple big awards, uh, the IPA Award, the Independent Press Award. And I was trying to get a press release out. And um, interestingly, I couldn't uh, because the press release had the word BDSM in it. And that made it an automatic no-go for most press, for all press engines, that uh, they just didn't approve it. I kind of thought all of this was a little bit behind us because BDSM is, is featured and it's not a big dark secret anymore, right? Thanks to Fifty Shades, honestly, which was not a great piece of literature or very informative, <laughs> but it opened up the topic. Right. Um, and I thought, I've been here for five years. I'm a married woman, and my husband is not the person who was my master. I have a normal monogamous relationship, a normal family life, or when I say normal, I mean pretty mainstream. Uh, I have kids. I raise them with my husband. We have a loving family. We're together. We, we're as together as any other married couple as I know. And I also have a BDSM dynamic uh, going for five years now with a person I was a uh, sick slave to for many years. And now, um, well, TBD now. is <laughs> uh-huh. um, not to be determined, but we're together, very much together. And I live um, the BDSM lifestyle, or as people call it, kinky lifestyle, leather lifestyle, pick your pick your label. I live it 24-7. And for me, it's kind of like a, a fact of life. And I research it. I move around to people who, who recognize and acknowledge and, and are in this sphere. So it was very surprising to me to see that I had a legitimate news item about a legitimate award that I couldn't publish because um, the word BDSM is so associated with such um, taboo Mm -hmm. issues that news agencies are not allowed to put it out. Are we not allowed to use that? Are you supposed to like romanticize it and sell it differently? Like the problem is the BDSM. Had I not used that, had I not used that word in the title, it would be easier to sell. 
It's ridiculous. Had I not used, I mean, it would be easier to market and get through certain channels just because, you know, YouTube will ban it. And and, and I'm not saying that's wrong because BDSM, B, I'm saying there's a change that needs to happen. Right. Maybe a branding change because BDSM is a word used in, in porn a lot, right? Mm. So it will get you tied to a certain aspect of it which like a, is a part of it but right. not the whole part of it just like being gay is not all about which hole you receive <laughs> intercourse in. right it's i think it's that's a, you look the, the issue that i have with that is that the media or at least we're led to believe it's supposed to be so receptive and accepting and you know freedom of press you know but i can't publish the fact of the award in mainstream media through me it just means you have to go through back channels which i will so i can right. say it on podcasts that there is an issue with the way we labeled the word kink classifying it only as a sexual perversion rather than a sexual identity you want to be able to speak freely and and i feel bad for the people who for me, I'm good. I, I already like, you know, <laughs> you're doing good. Is what you're I, saying. I crossed a lot of bridges already. I'm, nice. I'm looking at the other people who are like me and saying this is harder than it has to be. How does this how does how has this journey unfolded for you? When did you, you know, from if you could backtrack to where you are now? Got it. How did this all start? And you well, know, what brought you here and what what it's been like? Why did you make the choices you made, et cetera? Our story begins in 2018. I was a, a con reporter for a conservative news outlet, and I was investigating a story uh, about kink, the Me Too movement in the kink scene. 2018, it was uh, the, you know, the, the very height of the movement, and it was affecting various sides of life in various ways. Um, and my source, or the person I connected with to interview, was uh, Master Joshua. Um, he was just going to show me around, uh, but when he when I asked him about, I will backtrack a little more. It didn't start with with uh, uh, kink and me too. It started with another story premise that was uh, kink and religion. Uh, so I asked him to show me introduced me to religious figures in the kink scene because uh, he has a wide following and among his following are religious figures. Um, and he said, did you, do you know anything about this? And I said, um, I read 50 shades <laughs> and he said, okay, then I think first, before you actually start writing about it, you need an introduction to reality because this is what you Red in Fifty Shades is not how things are. And uh, he said, let's have a, a panel, like a discussion, a panel where you could interview people and afterwards stay for, for a play party, a kink party to see how it really is. And so we had this discussion. Many people, they, I got to know their lives a little bit. I got to hear a little bit about how what kink means to them, how it intersects with their own personal values as parents, as teachers, as bankers, you know, what what's, what part does it play in their life and their spiritual life? And I got, you know, a solid feeling of who these people are. 
And then uh, they turned the lights off and the music on and all the people left and they came back in leather and latex and high heels and on leashes and in dog masks and in kennels and looking like a, well, like a freak show. Like I never saw this before. I saw it in MTV videos, but that's about it. Uh, and I was a little bit stunned. And then uh, the party began and people began to play. And my uh, my astonishment and alarm and fascination deepened because I've never seen people interact on such an elemental level. It was like um, it was like the whole getting to the whole fake part of the interaction was dropped. It's like the whole, uh, oh, I have these, uh, in the, this is my Instagram and here's my blog and I uh, these are the people I uh, like and dislike and here are my TV show. The whole superficial level of interaction was just dropped and it went straight to um, what do you want to feel and how can I make you feel that way? And that really spoke to me because it felt like uh, a part of myself that was always kind of locked away and and it felt like finding something lost. It felt like finding a home. Like these are my people. It was really a like you. I felt it in my body, like somebody, like a gong, right? It's sort of like just this sense of being exactly where I'm supposed to be. Finally, not even knowing I was something was missing until I saw this, and um, the scene or the person who embodied that for me most were were Joshua, who was a professional dominant. He's in the scene a long time. He is very charismatic and proficient with what he was doing. And looking at him playing with his partner, um, kind of like, it was kind of like seeing the real thing. It was kind of like, like watching a nature documentary, but it's happening and you're in it. <laughs> it's happening right in front of you and you're in it. And it, it was just so visceral. And so, I don't know, both dark, and beautiful to me. And um, I remember leaving uh, the party and I met him in the hallway as I was leaving. And he was like, how was that for you? And I was like, that was really interesting. And I was kind of unabashedly staring at him because I was like, I'm married and I can never come back. So me looking at you right now and kind of drinking in every eyelash and pore and, and, and gleam of sweat on your skin, me just eating you up with my eyes is about as close as I would ever come. So I let myself do it. I, I let that moment happen and it happened. And uh, maybe because it happened, it was not where my story ended at all. It was what made the change was specifically why did you choose to um, follow uh Joshua. Mm -hmm. Well, this unfolded on multiple levels. Right. Um, I'll start with the personal and move on with the professional. Okay. So personally, uh, that party uh, shocked the shocked me. It, it jarred me incredibly. I came home and everything when I woke up the next morning, everything felt different. Um, it I it felt like a something the real me was not actually here <laughs> the real me I was looking at that party and the moment I left that door and that's where I left the real me <laughs> the person walking around and taking care of babies is somebody else <laughs> is is just sort of like a front and uh 
Joshua reached out the next day and I was like, uh, uh, something is, is happening to me. <laughs> something I'm, I'm, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't, I can't, but I'm curious. Mm-hmm. And he was like, no, this is, he took on the role of mentor and the, and so on. So he almost from day one that mentor mentee relationship was there there was like a i'm i'm so curious i'm so eager i'm so interested and yet i'm so this is so impossible because of my background and because of my marriage mostly because i can't i have a a life here this is not good for the life i have (laughs) like you know suddenly discovering a fierce interest in bdsm is not good for your marriage um, well, that's my, that's actually another question I had is, was your, was your life at home? Like, was your marriage, were you satisfied with your marriage? Were you, did you have a good relationship with your husband communicating? You guys were good. Was that a good situation for you? Um, it was a rough period. Babies, you know, um, just had kids, just moved to a new place. Uh, just, uh, I mean, a lot of stress and we were not exactly in a harmonious place. We weren't fighting, but we were kind of avoiding each other in a way. Right. We, we, yeah, we were tense uh, and has been tense for, for a long time at that point. And we were not, we didn't even know it because, um, it happened, it crept in. This distance was has been creeping in since since we had kids. It's just we just had to deal with a lot more. And all those mm. and everything picked up pace so fast, right? It just happens. Then you're a parent and and, it, and it's just for a few years, all you do is just, you know, survive and take care of other people. And uh and when your partner is uh an opposite attract kind of partner and uh, has uh, different ideas of how things should be done and, and what's important in the way they are done, then it's a difficult time. And uh, we weren't, we were caring for the kids and we were caring for the house and we were caring for the things that need to be done, but we weren't caring for each other much. At that point. Mm. And you, you wanted to hear about how did it happen? That's the personal side, professionally. Um, as I was uh, interviewing people from that party, doing the follow-up interviews, hearing their stories, um, allegations of abuse against Joshua surfaced. And the oh, person wow. who referred me to them said, you know, kink and religion is an interesting story, and I'll grant you that. But what the Me Too movement did to to the kink scene is a far more interesting and timely um timely story and I had bigger outlets that would jump on that and uh, plus I was upset at the allegations I felt uh, even though Joshua and I knew about each other for about a week at that point Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking a lot during that week and and the talks that we were having were intense because what I was going through was intense and to see that there's accusations of abuse against him they were posted on FetLife which is like the Facebook for, for kinky people it's like the Largest social media site but what, uh, for. What what, yes. t- what type of what type of uh, allegations of abuse was it? Can you elaborate on that? A uh, former partner of his posted allegations of uh, 
uh, emotional and sexual abuse. Uh, like, uh, they weren't very detailed uh, instances in which uh, uh, she said he... he um, it's a problem in the context of BDSM, and that's what made the article story okay. uh, interesting, right? Because so I'm assuming with consent she, words and let's whatnot. say consent violation. Okay, we'll call it okay. The, the words for what she accused them of is emotional abuse, uh, which she, you know, he didn't treat her well, um, and uh, consent violations, in which she agreed to X, but he did Y, according to her, in the context okay. of BDSM. It's extremely important right. to explain because if you want to be, uh, if you are asking for a scene that involves, uh, let's play with domestic abuse, then uh, it's very important to clarify the where the play ends. Right. As in, because, and that's kind of where I found the article interesting because, um, it seemed like a very uh, my first my first reaction was like, why didn't he, you? What is this? What does this mean? Why, why didn't you tell me about this? What what what? Who are you? My first reaction was suspicion and anger and a feeling of almost being betrayed because I didn't know that about him and now that completely changed how I saw him because I was taking advice from him from him already and I'm like who who are you? Who am I taking advice from? Uh, there's this all these. That she, she wrote horrible things about you and people repeated them and people are like uh um you know this when something like this is planted on social media it is shared it is spread <laughs> yeah um, it, it can definitely fire um but you know the i i the reason i asked you is because i was under i i'm i'm glad you you kind of confirmed that because i was under the impression if these are allegations it has to involve something with consent because this right. is an this is an environment or you know an arena <laughs> where yeah. certain rules are in place before you play and you know every there's an agreement and whether it's verbal or written like everybody plays by these rules and the only possible way that i can see this going in the opposite direction in this case him being accused of uh, of you know of allegations being made against him would be in the event that there was a miscommunication right whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. But so here you are. So you're put in this position where you initially started off from a specific point of view and then you, you go down the rabbit hole and, and everything is not exactly what you actually were led or been taught or you thought it was, would believe. What are the unique challenges that defined your relationship, A, with your, your husband? And then now here you are in this moment in your life where you're developing this different type of relationship, how do how do you consolidate that? How does that work? Uh, you don't <laughs> you don't at that point. Uh, the beginning we're talking about, um, the beginning we're talking about is about a week in, less than a week in. Right. At this point, um, my heart uh, jumped out of my chest and ran away. From the moment I was in that party, in a way, but um, my body and brain took a long time to follow, and I did not consider myself part of a BDSM world then, or of developing a new identity or developing a new relationship. It just, uh, it was just uh, some guy I met uh, who I was having fascinating conversations with, and who I, you know, 
had a some sort of you know burning interest in <laughs> but um but between that and saying uh i need to reconcile or reconfigure or figure out how it fits in you don't admit i did not admit that something needs to be reconfigured till a few months later <laughs> because at this point it, there's the the conflict seems to be a passing one just like uh just like the conflict you might feel looking at a movie and seeing a movie star really seriously attracted to mm. and and thinking uh Ooh, I wish I wish this was my husband and your husband is sitting right next to you and you're like <clears throat> that's it. <laughs> wow. You know, it's sort of like there's it takes a while to to and 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 rightfully so because otherwise if if you start reconfiguring your perceptions of self every time uh you know uh, a new thought or a new attraction or a new something hits you then uh, you'd be constantly shifting. At this point, my husband is my husband, and this guy I'm talking to is just somebody who has a piece of a piece of information for me. There is an interest that is bothering me too. <laughs> I was just gonna <laughs> sort of pulling at me, tugging at me. You know, sort of like. So, so at what point head. did you actually decide to, you know, really dive in from from this point of just thinking about it and thinking that it might be a passing thing? What point did you decide to just go ahead and? you know, immerse yourself. And I don't know if that's the right word to um, use, but to, I guess to take the next step or. There was a point of no return where I decided to do it. Um, I interviewed Joshua and his partner about, so we were talking about the Me Too scene, the, the Me Too issue. And I, uh, at that point, uh, Joshua became a, uh, from a source or a, Friend, yeah, I started viewing him as a hostile witness at that point, a little bit, as somebody who, who cannot be completely trusted. But I asked him a ton of questions, like unabashedly, as a reporter should and must. And um, turns out other people didn't. Uh, turns out that since the accusation surfaced, he had a lot of, um, you know, just uh unilateral banning or just people just not wanting to touch it or hear about it or like you know get involved in it and just kind of like sidestepping it but with the assumption of guilt thus unrefuted i mean when you hear something like this in a person it immediately colors how you see him right. even if you don't know but i was like this is coloring how i see you i need answers i'm gonna write about this i'm gonna dig into this other people did not and um, apparently that meant a lot to him that I was letting him speak and unfold his side of the story. And, and I asked him to tell it over and over again as if, you know, and nobody else did. Uh, so or maybe nobody else that was not already in his circle. Um, so, right. You allowed him to you kind of gave him the a voice, a voice, which is my job voice. as a reporter. Right. Um, and for me, so I was going to write about him, right? I was going to, he was going to be the centerpiece of my story because uh, he presented an interesting issue. His story presented an issue that I thought demonstrated uh, a certain aspect of me too, that was particular to the kink scene, but also kind of global that people were getting uh, shot down without having an opportunity to speak. 
they are, you know, they're dubious, they're accused, they're, um, there's reasons to, to suspect them, but there's no due process, which is also an aspect that needs to be explored. And as I spoke to more people, that, that became kind of like the backbone of the article. His story exemplified it very well. Um, but he asked me after a while when I was working and putting it together, he asked me, listen, uh, my partner and I, we've been through a lot uh, since this stuff surfaced. And I don't think we can take another round of public explo exposure. So would you mind, can you please just let this go? And I thought about it and I was like, okay, you know what? You opened the door to me. And you've been answering my questions. You've been a nice guy overall. You've been kind to me. And I don't want to return that kindness with an unkindness. I, I don't, ultimately, I'm not a go get him person. I'm not here to flush people out. I don't enjoy it. It doesn't give me a sati professional satisfaction. So while it would have been a good story, it would have felt like shit. Um, and I didn't want to be that person and i said you know what fine i'm not going to write about it i'll i'll find somebody else to be the center of the story or i'll let the story change but you don't want to be in the headlights anymore don't be in the headlights anymore i'll let you go he also he has kids i didn't want to put them through that uh and he said um <laughs> this is just an interesting sidetrack he said, I asked him, I was kind of getting angry at him. I was angry at him a lot at this point. And I was like, why Why did you invite a reporter in? Was this uh, cloud of shit hanging very publicly right. over your head? And he was like, well, I trust karma to protect me. And I was like, damn it, it's not karma protecting you, it's me. Things shifted for him. He said, okay, you know what? This is until then, we're just talking. We're just, I'm just telling him stuff in my head and asking him questions. And he's just telling me the stuff in his head and answering my questions. And we have these long conversations, but nothing happened. And after we hung up from that conversation, he was like, Do you want to play? Um, and I'm like, ah, I can't breathe. Let me get back to you. <laughs> And I very much wanted to play. I very much wanted to do a scene with him. Um, and uh, that was, I knew that was making a choice because that was not something I'm going to go home and tell my husband later on. Um, and I knew I was, I knew this is where the past splits. But I also knew that this is what I want. <laughs> this is what I want. Uh, and and in a way that I could just go back to the office, right? After the interview, I was on my way back to the office. I could just go back to the office and finish my day and say, no, thank you. And go back to my husband and my kids and say, and, and just let that opportunity or that open door, just let it close. And that's what I really wanted to want. <laughs> but it's not what I wanted. And so you jumped into it from that point. I right? said yes. You said yes. Said but yeah, what made yeah. you say yes then instead of, for example, saying, okay, I'm interested in this, but perhaps 
I should go and tell my husband right now that this is what's going on and tell him at that point, you know, and bring it up for discussion as opposed as opposed to just, you know, taking the more difficult route, I guess, of, you know, going the path of hiding this for a few months. If if that's what happened, I think I yeah. from what I understand, right? Did uh, I phrase that did I phrase yeah. that correctly? Or if yes, I if I did phrase that correctly. Uh, I would say primarily character flaw. <laughs> Impulsivity is a uh, strong character flaw, and uh, but there was also this sense of it's not that I'm I wasn't there, there was also this sense of a unique and an sort of like you know this feeling that you get when when something is happening and you feel like this is never going to happen again. This is. Mm-hmm. This is my chance. You know, this is sort of like everything about it, this situation from the moment I walked through Joshua's door was kind of like in a movie, almost a character here. And I am just playing out a script in a way that has been pre-written. I don't know. This It's something, something about the feeling of uh, fate, you know, sort of. The whole way it happened, right? It's very cinematic. It's like seeing a beautiful stranger in a crowded room and unlocking eyes. And the whole, the whole way the story unfolded had had like a uh, the thrill of of perfection unfolding. It's I did not want to stop and have that conversation and see that no and wait a few months and maybe he's gone in those few months or or maybe my husband says no and I don't do it. Or maybe I don't have the courage to speak about it, about it. And maybe by the end of the day, if I say no, that no will just stay there. You know, I didn't, it was kind of like, go for it, run. Kind of like when you see the traffic on the road, pausing for a second and you're like, yes, I could uh, go two blocks down and stand <coughs> at the, at the red light and wait till it changes till green, or I could run. I yeah. always run. <laughs> But not oh. in this case. In this case, you were drawn to it like a moth to a flame, you know? No, I mean, I always run across the road. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, it's it's a lot about uh, just a certain character. I, I'm, a, I am a, I'm a little bit, you know, of an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> it took me this part of my life to understand it and to understand that this is kind of like, you know, I'm dealing with a certain personality. I have a certain personality. Just to clarify that first scene, it is, it was a a flogging. Okay. A flogging, a spanking. It was my first BDSM scene, but that is not breaking the vows. Given, given the fact that you did, you did do the, the, there was some flogging, you had that experience, you were, you you had that play. Most (laughs) people i think would normally bring this up to their significant other their partner their husband wives whatever and say hey listen i want to explore this side what can we do to did you ever that's have exactly that what happened that's exactly what happened after this i think most married people if they don't like hindsight is always twenty twenty, right if 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 most being married people knew their crush would uh, evolve into an affair uh, they would be like, let me tell, let me address this now. This is going to blow over. <laughs> but probably my interest in BDSM isn't. 
my relationship with Joshua is just kind of like a transition. He's a guide. He's somebody who's showing me the ropes, <laughs> pun intended. And um, <laughs> but it will blow over. And uh, but my husband does need to know about my interest in BDSM because we need to do this together because he's my guy. <laughs> he's right. my husband. So this is highly relevant to him. So we did have that conversation about the day after. I said, listen, I've been um, I've been interested. I've been talking. I've been a little involved. I've been exploring. I want to explore this with you. I want this to be our, yeah, I, I really need to go deeper into it. And I want to do this with you. And he was like, um, we got preschool woman. We got preschool applications to do. Uh, we have a new house. We have tons of stuff to do. I got oh, lists and lists wow. and lists of things we need to go through. Why is this important right now? It's super and important. <laughs> if there's one thing that you should not put last minute is first of all your spouse's needs. Whether it's you know here you are coming to your husband. Hey, listen, I want to explore this. I want to do this. I want to be more intimate with you. But yet the kids become number one. Uh, and really what they yeah, need. I certainly know children. about that. <laughs> hmm? I said, I certainly know about that. I have three. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, their needs are urgent and they're more important. And that is uh, the bedrock of everything. Uh, but he is. uh a very duty bound person and mm. a very okay like that became his probably that's the source of of uh that was the source of of disconnect in our marriage i believe that he became he's so devoted he's such a great dad he's such a great caregiver to everybody but his duties by far you know are more important to him than his pleasure or my pleasure or any sort of reward. And the other thing that came up in the conversation was I am really what he said in response to it. He said, I am really not into that. In fact, I am repelled by that. Wow. The whole idea of it kind of turns me off. I'm not interested in the, in, in, in the whole topic and I'm definitely not interested in taking it outside the house. Uh, so I said, so maybe, maybe I could explore for both of us and bring it back home. I could go to places, to, to events, to workshops, to the things and learn stuff and try it out with you in the bedroom. And he was like, uh, you're talking with stuff you're talking about. This isn't yoga. <laughs> then who, who am I to stand in your way? I don't want to be that. I don't want to be an obstacle to you. Uh, I don't want to go. Uh, but I won't tell you, no, don't go. So that was the crack in the door that kind of gave uh, me and Joshua permission to, permission, cover. <laughs> you know, right. a sort of uh, permission under which we could operate without it being a direct um a direct violation of marriage vows vows because I was exploring and Joshua was my guide. And uh, that's kind of like uh, what I went with at the time. And it's not completely, <laughs> it's not completely above uh, a deeper examination. You know, right. I knew what was going on and 
But I let it happen. Uh, I let that phase take place because I did have the permission to explore. So you get, so you had permission to explore, right? And mm-hmm. you had the conversation with your husband. At what point does this become the master-slave relationship? And where are you now? And because uh, we're running out of time here, it's so good what you have to say. And I'm fascinated by your, by your story. But there's a book for that. <laughs> and our audience can actually definitely buy your book. And to that question, that what point did you be, it became a guided you know, he was guiding you and then it, out of nowhere, it was boom, master-slave. Like The master-slave relationship starts at the end of a very difficult, these months where I was uh, technically, where I was having an affair with Joshua. Your husband had already been aware that you were doing this, right? Or this was before he was aware, the actual... This is before. Okay. So the thing is, about having an, I was lying, keeping right. secrets, covering, lying, not, he did not know that I'm having an affair. It's not, I'm a very honest person. I'm a person who took, takes pride in their integrity, always have been. And I was acting against who I believe everything I'm proud of. And I was, you know, I was feeling horrible. I was kind of losing, I mean, losing myself <laughs> as I was finding something I was totally losing myself and um and I know people ask why didn't you just walk away from Joshua I couldn't I couldn't I was facet I, I was just like I knew this is where my story is I made these choices again and again because I felt this is my story this is my odyssey this is this is this is my life <laughs> I can't just walk away for safety's sake, but I, I was what what I was going through was was like deeply, deeply conflicted. And when I came to Joshua and told him that uh, that I was, you know, um, I'm at risk, uh, he said he thought about it and he said, "Okay, um, I see what I need to do now. I should have done that earlier. I'm sorry, I didn't. You want." a commitment from me. He's poly, right? He, he, at, at that time in my life saying I am poly, I have lots of relationships to me. It just looked like he was cheating with permission. I'm sorry. What I find interesting is that here you are in a BDSM, uh, environment. And yet the person that is guiding you and helping you is in a polyamorous, uh, relationships. I believe that's the correct word, but, but he knew you were married. Correct. Is that right? Joshua yes. knew. Yes. Okay. And that's not something that, like, is that something that he didn't really care to consider in terms I'll, of? I'll give you what? his answer. What he usually says to that was, my mistake was that I circumvented morals with ethics. Ethically, I don't need her husband's permission. I need her permission because she's the one deciding. Morally, everybody needs to be on board and everybody needs to know what is happening. And uh, my mistake was to think that ethics could trump over morals here. And I corrected that mistake as time went by, and now we're all better people for it, is his uh, basic answer, standard answer. Um, but the point where I beca- where we became master and slave was when he said, um, you have to tell your husband. 
You want a commitment from me? Here's a caller. This, I will be your master. You will be my slave. And uh, that was the bond we made. And uh, telling my husband the truth was probably the most difficult, scary, uh, gut-wrenching thing I ever did. Joshua guided me through it as my master. And um, that that is what built our relationship. You know, playing with a woman who's married, you know, it's, it looks shady. It, it looks oh, shady yeah, to me. Yeah, 100%. Are you guys still in contact? Are you, do you guys still have a master-slave relationship? Or where are you guys now? We are currently not master and slave. Um, I am still submissive to him because I am. Okay. That is not something that is dependent on color or on anything. It's just kind of like the way things are. Okay. <laughs> I opted out. I said, I do not want to be a slave anymore. I said, slave, slave became too confined a space for me. Mm. Um, because after the book was published and basically after I received, after I stood up and told my husband, husband the truth and received his permission, after I not only did that, but I published this book and it won awards and I'm, I'm doing all these things. I, my primary goal as slave was to say, as my master, my goal as a person is to please you. I just couldn't do it anymore because my goal stopped being to please him and started being to please me. Well, you've And for a while, they were identical. Where exactly do you feel is the liberation in this when it seems like there is a bit of unclarity? You're going from a master telling you what to do now. Every master-slave relationship has different trappings. Him being... Um, Polly and NDS relationships with many people and a busy guy and a popular guy a lot of his a lot of the DS relationship is sort of like I'll give you my values and you kind of figure it out and do it so it's more like guidance than direct commands the direct commands were always sort of like okay um, I got to do this because this is what he said and this is part of our, you know, the jump how high it's it's the basic condition. So that is what kind of changed. Now he just doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't tell me you have to do this. He said, he says stuff like, uh, I think you should look into doing such and such. And it gives me freedom into how I execute that. And it's a big, it might seem like a small minor point, right? But it's a huge difference because if I want it, I take it. And if I don't, I don't. There's a reason he is a professional. There's a reason why people come to him with all these questions all the time and all these and ask for his advice. So so the responsibility for my actions, that is a, I believe that was an area that is problematic in the master-slave relationship because unless your master is um, supervising your life in a very close as much as, you know, as in a day-to-day, hour-to-hour, like a marriage level, then he can't really give you good, um, 
it's very difficult to give concrete commands. He should not have to do that right. when this is not his life. <laughs> Uh, and I should not have to obey when this is not his life. Um, Karma, I have one last question. If people want to get a hold of you or just obtain more information, how can they reach you? Google Surviving Master Joshua, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife. I'll say it again. Surviving Master Joshua, the, the BDSM memoir of an unfaithful wife. Uh, you can use the contact page at survivingmasterjoshua.com. I'll uh, reply from there or carnal culture publishing at gmail.com. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for today. I am your host, Romeo. And I'm your co-host, Maria. Bye.